Today's scripture reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. And we are reading from the New Revised Standard Version, updated edition. Here is the word of the Lord. When was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors were locked where the disciples were, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then, this, then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out, reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are, the written, so, but these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, praise, and glory be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, you tell us that all scripture is inspired by God, is breathed by your breath. And it is useful for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. So we hold your heart, uh, word close to our hearts praying that you will inspire in us a hunger to seek and understand your word. Please help us through the Holy Spirit as we listen to your word this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. So it's April now, actually halfway through, and a new school and work year has just begun. We see children walking around with backpacks that are far too large for them. So cute. And recent college graduates in their brand new suits riding the trains and buses. And in the middle of that, the tree blossoms and other spring flowers have bloomed. So beautiful. And even with all the spring rain, the bright shine of new life is here and so visible all throughout the world around us. 
and the cold of winter has passed and the spring has come at last. And of course, at the same time as this new life springs forth in this world, churches around the world celebrated new life just last Sunday as we celebrated Easter. And I think we did a wonderful Easter celebration last Sunday, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the sanctuary was full of people from all different places, and there was powerful praise, kids singing and dancing, worship just warmed our hearts. And we had an amazing time of fellowship downstairs, where while the kids did egg hunt and crafts, and then Tiananmen even sold the Jesus bags and stickers. Right. So uh, I just want us to take a moment and applaud and give thanks to God right, for the great blessings that was our Resurrection Sunday. Thanks be to God. And praise be to God. Of course, now that we celebrated Easter Sunday and also we all live in this world that loves to focus efficiency and productivity we might find ourselves thinking, wow, that was great Easter. So, what's next? What comes after Easter, after we celebrate such an amazing day in the life of our church? And if you're that sort of person only comes to church on Christmas and Easter, you might even be wondering why we even come back to church after Easter Sunday. The answer to that is, I think it's quite simple. So in fact, it's so simple, I put it in my sermon title today. What's after Easter? The Holy Spirit. I don't know if you realize it or not, but Easter is not just a single day of celebration. It's actually an entire season. The season of Easter begins with the Resurrection Sunday and lasts all the way until Pentecost which celebrate the descent of the Holy Spirit on disciples. Do we all remember that story when the disciple began speaking in tongues and the crowd could understand them in their own language? That is Pentecost. So take a look at the slide on the screen over here, if Maluka could put that up. And you can see a little slice of the Christian calendar. You can see this section over in the upper right corner where it says Easter, but as you can see, it's much more than one single day. What comes after the Easter season is Pentecost. It's in red, and the season of the work of the Holy Spirit. But as important as the season of the church are, I don't want us to think that the Spirit only functions in this chronological way. And after all, it's not only during the Pentecost season when we touch by the Holy Spirit or when we are engaged with the Holy Spirit. It isn't that the Holy Spirit only comes down just once a year, like a Pentecost day, or just when we become a Christian. No, it's not like that. That's not how the Spirit works at all. Instead, the Holy Spirit is with us always. And during the Easter season, the Holy Spirit helps us to understand the resurrection of Jesus more fully and more deeply than we can do on our own. Without the Holy Spirit, the resurrection of Jesus remains to us as some ancient 
incomprehensible thing that happened long ago in Israel to people who don't look like us, who don't think like us, and who lived and died far away long time ago. Sure, we might understand the basic details of what happened, that Jesus, our Lord and Savior, died and rose again. But so what? Without the guidance of the Holy Spirit, how can we ever hope to understand how this resurrection is relevant to us here right now? How does the resurrection come alive in each and every one of us living and working in God's community? In today's scripture reading, we begin to see the true lasting power of that resurrection made clear to us through the Holy Spirit. On Easter morning, when no one was watching, Jesus Christ came back to life. Those who loved him, who followed Jesus throughout his life, felt that his death was permanent. The woman had come to his tomb not to look for him, but to take care of his dead body. But when they got there, they found that there was nobody to take care of because Jesus had returned to life. And shortly after that, Jesus appeared to the disciples in the house when they were gathered. Now, these people were devout followers of Jesus. Jesus had been their teacher, their Lord, whom they followed with dedication and obedience for the last three years. They had been called personally by Christ and had spent nearly every moment since by his side. Jesus had told them all the words of God and demonstrated through his teachings and his action that he was truly the Lord and Messiah, the Son of God and Savior of the world. And Jesus told them that he had been sent by God to heal, to feed, to cast out demons, and feed the 5,000, throw down the oppressors, and more. And to them, Jesus must have been seemed like an unstoppable force against all the princes, all the riches, and all the principalities of the world. Said to take down disease, demons, sufferings, oppressors. It must have looked like he could overcome anything, like he was invincible. Until he died on the cross. Far from being unconquerable, Jesus was arrested, put on a trial, found guilty by the leaders of the time, and as punishment, set to hang on the cross until he cried out his last breath and died. This man who did nothing but the will and work of God, that beloved son of the Almighty, in whom God was well pleased, breathed his last in torment and pain, leaving the disciples all behind wondering. Oh no, so what's next? But as it happened, death was not the end after all. As we all know, Jesus rose again and resurrected from death and returned to life. And then in the middle of a locked room, as his beloved disciples huddled in uncertainty and fear, Jesus appeared. Now imagine for a moment 
that you are one of these disciples? How would you react if Jesus Christ, dead these last three days, just suddenly appeared just like that? Someone you knew was dead and not only appeared, but in the middle of a locked room, clearly alive. He showed up right in front of them, showing the wounds in his side where he had been pierced by the centurion's spear, and the holes in his hands when the nails had been driven in hold him to the cross. The disciples' first reaction naturally was to rejoice, right? After all, Ujin do the same. But I did find it interesting that even in their rejoicing, which we see right here in the scripture, by the way, the disciples don't seem to understand what this resurrection actually means to them. Look at how exactly they describe their encounter with Jesus to Thomas, who shows up after Jesus leaves and doesn't get to see him for another week. When Thomas shows up, all the disciples say to him is this. We have seen the Lord. John chapter 20, 25. That's it. Just, we have seen the Lord. If it were me, I think, and I hope, I would have so much more to say. Like, hey, Thomas, you wouldn't believe this. We were hanging out in a locked room because, you know, we are scared. And somehow just, Jesus showed up. Well, he said, peace be with you. And even showed us all the wounds that in his hand and side, so there is no mistaking it. And he breathed on us too and said, that we need to receive the Holy Spirit. And he even gave us this power to forgive the sins of the people, which we thought something only Jesus could have. Can you believe this? But there is nothing like that. Just the disciples said, Hey, Thomas, we saw the Lord. Really anticlimactic, isn't it? Is it any wonder that Thomas has such a hard time believing what the disciples said about Jesus? There was no passionate conviction, no excitement about what they had just seen. Just the bland, worrying, we have seen the Lord. Only so, so Jesus. Was he really that passive? I think of course it was. They just saw Jesus well enough, but it wasn't as though they talked with him. Not like they fell down on their knees in praise and worship of the risen Lord. They just saw Jesus. They observed the existence of Jesus, but despite everything he said and did to the disciples then, they took nothing from the interaction, drew no meaningful conclusions, and were moved to no action whatsoever. If that was all the other disciples said, I might be skeptical too, like Thomas. I might also say, like Thomas, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. The disciples' story had no life, no energy. It wasn't just all convincing. And seeing this unconvincing reaction of the disciples to the truth of the risen Christ, my question for us, for us all today is this. 
Are we just like these disciples? Is our church reacting to the risen Christ Easter Sunday, just like the disciples did here? Sure, we rejoiced and partied big on Easter Sunday. We celebrated Resurrection Sunday very well. But what's next, and what are we doing now? Are we still just passionate about the Lord's redemption, the Savior who can turn death into life this Sunday, today? Do we, each and every one of us here, know what the resurrection of Christ Jesus means to us and to our community? Or are we like those disciples, recognizing the resurrection, but somehow frozen in place? Do we let the joy and celebration of the new life in Christ transform us, move us to action, and empower us to receive the Holy Spirit? Or are we still living our lives in the same way we were on Good Friday? I think that today's story shows us a few reasons why Jesus' resurrection might not immediately take root in our lives and transforming and inspiring us the way we might hope. One reason is that fear that comes from unbelief. Let's go back to the scripture. Even though Mary told the disciples that she, she had seen the living Lord, John chapter 20, verse 18, they could not truly believe her. And they were still living in a place of fear. Even though they had heard the good news, their doors were shut verse 19, and they were not opening themselves up to welcome the Lord among them. And we see what that fear, what that shutting down does to the disciples. It causes them to unable to hear and to truly receive the Lord when he does come along them. Three times, three times Jesus says to the disciples, peace be with you. But no matter how many times he says it, this peace does not seem to come into their hearts. Instead, they stay in their doubts and unbelief. And do you know why? It's because it's in their fear, they did not actually receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus knows that in order for the good news of resurrection to truly come alive in their lives, they are going to need the Holy Spirit to work in them and to empower them and to move them beyond fear into the service of God. So Jesus is willing to give them the Holy Spirit. And how wonderful is that? Our God, the ultimate author and finisher of our faith. The infinite creator does not mind sharing this intimate inner force of God's own self with us, wanting to let us know the mind of God. Our God desires such an intimate and personal relationship with each one of us that God chooses to share the Holy Spirit with us. But even in that, we still have to remember something very important about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a gift that is given to us by God. And since this is a gift, it is very possible that without even realizing, 
we might not be allowing ourselves to receive it. Or worse, we could even be refusing this gift of the Holy Spirit. And I really think that was the case for the disciples, at least here at the beginning. The Holy Spirit was given to the disciples, breathed on them by Christ himself, John chapter 20, verse 22, but they did not actually receive it, at least not first. This is why Jesus had to specifically tell them to receive the Holy Spirit, and the fact that he had to tell them this makes me think that there must have been a great resistance in their hearts to receiving the Holy Spirit at that point. And we don't get a clear answer as to whether or not actually the disciples received the Holy Spirit as Jesus told them to. And reading the verses that follow, I don't really get that impression. I don't really get the impression that they did receive the Holy Spirit. We don't really see them testifying to the great transformative work done to them through the resurrection of Christ. Or even just sharing the amazement at what had happened with Thomas later on. I don't sense them in them a passion, the power, and the excitement that so often accompanies the arrival of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been given, that's for sure, but has it been truly received by the disciples? And has it truly been received by us? The Holy Spirit is not a one-way thing. It is to given to us by God through Christ Jesus. But just like any gift, it is something we have to accept, we need to receive. This week, I have spent a lot of time thinking about the Holy Spirit and reading through all the different verses and passages that talk about Holy Spirit. And I have been absolutely blown away by the power of the Spirit and the depth of who the Holy Spirit is. And the great things that Holy Spirit is capable of doing for God's people and God's community. And in that moment, it came to me that for all I have been praying for God's will to be done, maybe I might not have been understanding the way in which the Holy Spirit moves fully. I asked myself, have I really been opening my heart to receive the Holy Spirit and trusting that the Spirit will speak to me, the mind of our loving and merciful God? And in truth, I felt I could not honestly say that I have been that receptive to the Spirit. So in that moment, when that realization was given to me, I apologized to God and gave thanks for the fact that God is always patient and waiting for me, for, for you to open our hearts to receive God's Holy Spirit. And as a result, my prayers this week has been centered on being receptive on the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, not just only for myself, my family, but of course, our KUC family. Whenever I heard about or saw difficult situations, struggles and pain arising in our community, I prayed for the Holy Spirit to be received in that situation. When I sing praise songs at home this week, I open myself up to the Spirit and experience a remarkable moment 
where I felt that I wasn't singing just because I enjoyed singing or just because I feel good, but because the Spirit had guided me to sing the song that God wanted to sing with me. And in opening myself up to the Holy Spirit, I felt at one with God and in communion with God, and peace was with me. So how about you? Have you opened up your heart to receive the Holy Spirit? Allow the Spirit to go through the doors of your fear and worry and appear right in the middle of your life and ready to transform you in new and unexpected ways? Or are you still sitting in the locked room of your heart, letting your fear and unbelief prevent you from hearing the voice of God? These are the questions I asked myself this week and the questions I hope you all ask yourselves as well. Today we will have an old church forum after worship service and the main thing we'll be discussing will be this ongoing time of transition in the life of our church. What will happen with our KUC leadership this year and next year? Where are we going as a church? What is the vision of KUC? And all of these questions are important, certainly. But in all that we discuss and discern, I would say perhaps the most important thing is to make sure that we are setting aside our own fears and concerns and making room for us to truly receive the Holy Spirit among us as the followers of risen Christ. When we come together to make decisions as a body of Christ, it's important to distinguish between what we think God might be telling us and what the Holy Spirit is actually whispering into our hearts. Because sometimes, and even oftentimes, there are huge gaps between these two things, and we need to be careful not to let our fears and doubts and unbelief lock the doors among us, around us, and block us from receiving the Holy Spirit. When we receive the Holy Spirit, the mind and the will of God are made open to us, made clear to us. When we receive the Holy Spirit, our fears are cast aside and instead simply just seeing Jesus, we can respond to the risen Christ with excitement, with passion, with enthusiasm of new life and new possibilities. So as we go from here into the time of discussion after the worship, I pray for our openness to receiving the Holy Spirit, all of us, not just one or two of us, not just the pastors, not just church staff, not just council members, or just not just outspoken few people. I mean all of us. Each and every one of us need to pray that God will open our hearts to receive the Holy Spirit, which is breathed on the KUC by the Christ who was crucified and by the Christ who died, and by the Christ who rose again, and that Christ standing in the middle of the locked room of our hearts. So let our hearts be open. 
let the hearts of all our QC family be opened so that we can receive the Spirit breathed upon us in this place. Amen.